2: I've made the point that a lot of male historians don't, that being a governess actually would have given her quite a lot of skills. We know that she travelled around quite a bit of England as a governess, so it was not a a sort of wasted ten years in any way at all.
0: In her late 20s, Sarah agreed to marry her cousin Felton Matthew and follow him out to Australia, where he had obtained a position as a surveyor. He left for Sydney in 1829, and two years later, Sarah followed the first of a remarkable six journey she made between Britain and the Southern Hemisphere, all the more impressive when you realise that she suffered terribly from seasickness. She arrived in Sydney in January 1832, married Felton, and then almost immediately went with him on his long surveying trips into the bush.
2: I think that's probably because she didn't, simply didn't want to be left at home for long periods, but they did an extraordinary amount of travelling on foot and horseback. She probably helped him with the, the physical work of dragging chains around. The extraordinary thing is that she, wrote, she kept the diaries. She, she wrote the books in, day in and day out.
0: Sarah and Felton suffered two stillbirths while in Sydney, and in her journals there are hints of other misfortunes. This was the start of a run of mixed luck for the couple.
2: Felton lost his job, basically. In 1839, because of the confusion as to where these appointments were made, were they made in London or were they made back in Sydney, uh, he lost his job, he was made redundant, and so he was available when Hobson was looking for officials to bring to New Zealand to found this new colony in New Zealand. So he was shoulder tapped to go to New Zealand.
0: Felton sailed to the Bay of Islands in January 1840 and was present at the signing of the Treaty of Waitangi. Sarah arrived three months later.
1: I expect we shall very shortly be sent off again to survey and lay out another town in which the seat of government will be fixed. Felton has selected a very favourable situation for the purpose. It is to be called Auckland.
0: For two months on a tiny boat, Sarah and Felton sailed and surveyed from Northland to Thames, climbing seemingly every mountain and exploring the rivers, streams and harbours. Despite some initial misgivings on Felton's behalf, a site on the Waitemata Harbour was chosen, and on September the 18th, 1840, a ceremony was held to mark the founding of the nation's new capital. Sarah was the only Pākehā woman present on shore, and typically she wrote it all down.
1: A beautiful morning seemed to smile on the auspicious circumstances of taking formal possession of a certain portion of the land about half past twelve the whole party landed and proceeded to the height where the flag staff was raised and ready to receive the royal standard the flag was run up and the whole assembly gave three cheers and a salute of twenty-one guns fired the gentlemen got up a boat race among themselves and a canoe race for the natives and this closed the day's festivity there was no rain though it threatened frequently a good omen i hope for the prosperity of the new city which is to rise on this spot In the evening, the captain gave us a few songs, but had shouted himself hoarse in honour of Her Majesty in the morning.
2: Hers is the only surviving extensive eyewitness account. The only other one is in the Bay of Islands Gazette, which devotes, I think, one paragraph, and that's as far as it goes. Felton
0: was named Surveyor General for the new capital. In actual fact, he was the only surveyor. He got to work, climbing hills and volcanoes, walking the length and breadth of what would be the city... Sketching, planning, thinking. His notebooks survive and are on display in Auckland Library's Sir George Grey Special Collections.
1: This is his survey's notebook.
0: Collections team leader Georgia Prince.
1: So this is the notebook that he carried with him as he was doing the survey of Auckland, going up and down the volcanic cones. And below that
0: is that Felton Matthews drawing of Hauraki Gulf from what's the view from? He's probably at the top of Mount Eden or something this similar. Is the
2: there, top isn't? of Mount Eden in 1840. And there's another one from the top of Rangitoto. There is, that's right. Also in 1840, so Mm. he got about this man.
0: In just two months, Felton finished his design for the layout of Auckland. It centres on what is now Albert Park and consists of a series of circular streets with crescents, circuses and squares and a wonderful jetty arching out into the harbour. There's reclaimed land and well laid out suburban areas and hardly a straight line to be found anywhere. The cobweb, as it became known, was an elegant and beautiful design. Everyone hated it, especially the editor of the local newspaper. It is supposed that Mr Matthew, the distinguished surveyor, who is a native of Bath, took the plan of that town and, after improving it to his own taste, then applied it to Auckland. Where, however well it might suit the fine brick and stone buildings of Bath, it does not seem at all to answer. Despite being criticised for being too pretty, too impractical and too expensive, the design was signed off by Governor William Hobson, who immediately ruined it by stealing the very best part of it for his own house. And when it was decided to put the military barracks in Albert Park at the heart of the design, Felton's cobweb was dead and his reputation died with it. Since then, some have defended his design.
2: Even back in 1912, a writer in the Cyclopaedia of New Zealand was bemoaning the fact that a great chance had been missed to have created a beautiful, majestic city on the shores of a majestic harbour. The greatest chance since the Garden of Eden.
0: Things went downhill for Sarah and her husband. Felton lost his job, again, and travelled to England to protest. Sarah went with them. They came back, fell out with the new governor, Sir George Grey, and later Felton was again dismissed. His health was declining and his enemies considered him officious, venal, on the make, incompetent and obsessed with regulations and rules. John Logan Campbell, the so-called father of Auckland, liked to refer to Felton as red tape.
2: Makes about a comment about this man who has surveying on the brain, which is actually incredibly unkind because <laughs> this, this man was doing his job, but of course what? John Logan Campbell wanted, he just wanted the ability to be able to buy and sell it quickly and make money. So of course he saw Felton as an impediment, as nuisance, as red tape which had to be circumvented somehow.
0: Tessa Duda thinks Felton wasn't really all that bad, he was just drawn that way.
2: Felton has had very bad press over the years and I think a lot of it goes back to the uh, opinions expressed by the editor of of the newspapers of the day by other officials Um, and those opinions have not really been challenged until now. This book really is a repudiation also of Felton's supposed incompetence or his supposed impracticable vision that he put into this cobweb plan of Auckland. It was high time that somebody said that he was no more acquisitive or even venal is one word that's quite often been applied to him. He was certainly no worse than any of the others who came to Auckland in those early days, wanting to buy land, make a quick profit and return to Sydney. They wanted to make a life in New Zealand, and yes, he wanted to buy property, he wanted to make a profit, but this was to set himself up for a life in the colony.
0: But disappointments, dismissals and the snobbery of the expat community finally broke the couple. They gave up, and in 1847 began the journey back home to Britain. Typically... They tried to make it an adventure.
2: They were planning to go across the Panama Isthmus by canoe and horseback, but his health had been declining and he eventually died in a hotel room in, in Lima. And uh, she writes about that very matter-of-factly, but you sense the distress and the anguish behind it.
1: He gradually sank and departed on the 26th of November. I cannot write of this dreadful time. She was then faced with getting herself back to England. In
2: 1858 she came back to Auckland and lived here for four years. It seems to have been a very unhappy time. What she was trying to do was to rationalise the properties that Felton had left to her. Not not a great deal. There was a farm down in the Thames Plains and there was some property in Auckland. But she struggled, I think, with the fact that she had a lawyer who she could hardly ever get to see him. And I think as a single woman, she was now in her early 50s, um, she found life very difficult.
0: Sarah returned once more to Britain and eventually died there in 1890. In her life, she had travelled farther than many and seen more than most. She had met and mixed with tamati wakanene and te Samuel Marsden, James Busby, Governors Hobson and Gray, and many, many more. And she wrote it all down, all the journeys and all the people, the very few triumphs and the many setbacks of her life in the colonies. Sarah Matthew left a remarkable series of documents detailing life here and in Australia, and modestly, her own achievements. She deserves to be remembered.
2: She was a woman outside of her time. It was noted by other women of the time that she went on these trips with her husband and in tones of some amazement again it was because she was childless that she was able to do this so she put all her enormous energy to being with him on these trips. There's been quite a bit of attention paid to Eliza Hobson and Mary Ann Martin who was the wife of the first Chief Justice. Personally I think that Sarah should be up there with the amount of attention and uh, recognition that's been paid to them but I don't think it has been and that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book because I feel that she does deserve to be right up there.
1: Botox Cosmetic, out toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you.